Welcome to A State of Mind with me, Julian Ocean. Today I am speaking with Kevin McKegg. Kevin is a meditation teacher and coach out of Boulder, Colorado. He shares with us about his life and his journey with meditation and healing, and it's a pretty personal conversation and somewhat surprising. Um, he struggled with pretty severe depression for almost 15 years and an unusual experience that he connects with a past life traumatic memory actually helped him to overcome that depression when he accessed that memory in his body. So he talks about that and shares some cautionary tales as well as positive tales of the use of plant-based medicines and psychedelics in his own journey. So please enjoy. Welcome to A State of Mind, and I'm talking today with Kevin McKegg friend of mine, known for several years. Uh, Kevin, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, my name is Kevin McKegg. I'm a life coach, a writer, and a musician based out of Boulder, Colorado. Nice. And I've lived here for about a decade, and I think we probably met about 10 years ago. Yeah, I think we did. At Naropa University, where we both went to school. Yeah, and I remember um, meeting you at this place called the Integral Center that has since closed down, and we did this really kind of odd weekend there where we meditated like all day and then drove to a concert in denver do you remember that yeah and it was on halloween so everyone dressed <laughs> up in these whack wild costumes yeah i think i was austin powers like i had the hair and everything and, like, yeah a, a fake blue velvet suit i remember that was cool. <laughs> so good times yeah um and yeah on that note I, I think that was a brilliant weekend just because they were trying to to bridge you know spiritual practice and the workaday world right and existing in you know downtown denver at a concert while being a meditation practitioner yeah yeah i love that intention and it was it stuck with me that's that was such an unusual experience and i thought it was really cool and yeah it was kind of baffling you know <laughs> in a way it was like here we are a group of 30 meditation practitioners we've been in intense silent meditation all weekend we're going to go let loose at this concert where they're doing, you know, queen covers and things like that. Yeah. And you're working as a, a coach, a life coach now. How do you describe the work yeah. that you're doing? So um, the work that I do is meditation focused in that um, I'm sitting down with my clients and training them in meditation techniques that are tailored kind of for where they add on their spiritual path. Um, so, and then the coaching piece is about holding people accountable to their own greatness mm. and really making sure that they are supported and feel uh, seen and heard and who they are and what they do. And also that I'm providing them with really juicy challenges for um, them to take with them through the week so that mm. they come back and feel that kind of glow 
of um, having accomplished something that means something. Mm. And I think that's the key where <clears throat> as a coach, like I could tell somebody like, okay, go make, you know, twice as much money or something like that, or some kind of generic uh, achievement goal. But if it doesn't really, really vibe with their soul and who they are, then it's pretty much worthless because a, they're not going to be motivated to go and do that as much. And B, um, they're not in uh, direction and control. Mm. So helping people achieve things, but like very tailored to the individual. And it sounds like like getting away from just focusing on economic success as the definition of success. Right, right. Which for some people it really is. Um, but if you're reducing your definition of success that narrowly, um, then for most people, unless they're highly economically driven, most people aren't going to feel totally fulfilled. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and, I think and I, w- I would even, you know, I'm even skeptical of saying most people, I think. <laughs> um, well. Yeah, I think, I think you could say everyone. I mean, if we talk to, if you look at the wealthiest people in the world, a lot of them are actually giving away a lot of their money. Right. And they, and they find this immense amount of um, fulfillment and actually connecting with a purpose that is greater than the self-serving instinct yeah so that that desire to give yeah absolutely yeah and i I like the piece around like individualized uh, meditation practices or techniques or things you can do that are very like i think that's the way that meditation was originally taught it was a one-on-one you know everyone would would you would meet with the teacher and you would get personalized instructions right i think that was a lot more common in the past than it than it is today but it makes a lot of sense to me well, it's interesting, right? Because we have these apps that have these kind of like generic, um, wide cast kind of mm. instructions. And I think that's totally fine for um, getting people on the path. But once they're on there, I think having some form of spiritual friend mm-hmm. um, who can kind of guide you towards your own higher potentials is really, really important. Yeah. Um, especially because we've kind of seen, in my opinion, based on my observations of the spiritual culture, um, kind of the, the age of the guru is dead, where we have these kind of high beings that we put on pedestals, and then eventually they kind of get torn down. And I don't want to go into specific um, mm. y- y- teachers or call out anyone by name, but it seems increasingly common that there's kind of an untrustability Mm. around spiritual teachers just in general Mm -hmm. you know so stepping into that ring already there's like in the states there's like a 40 or 50 year history of kind of like i don't know abuse and neglect inside of the the culture already which is extremely sad to me but also i think um there needs to be kind of a shift in direction right yeah yeah i think it's um I'm not sure what to say about it, but uh, yeah, a lot of meditation teachers have had scandals and a lot of yoga teachers have had scandals and it's actually hard to find one without, <laughs> it seems like, like in terms of when they become really big and popular. I mean, you could say the same thing about politicians and um, probably business leaders too. I mean, there's something about um, when you gain a lot of power and a lot of following, it kind of sets you up. I mean, first of all, when people put you up on a pedestal, then they love to tear you down. But there's now um, psychological studies showing that our ability for empathy and compassion decrease the more power that we have. Mm. 
like you can you can see people's uh, brain scans like change the brain imaging. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, it's fascinating to think about. Like actually yeah. having power changes your your neural. <laughs> yeah, and and that ties into the old saying: um, "Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely." And um, as kind of a leader um, myself, I kind of have to believe that that's not true. Right. Um, I want to believe that you can both hold power and hold an immense amount of compassion, empathy to and do good. Integrity. Yeah, and you look at some of the greatest leaders in our history, Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi or mm-hmm. some of the great saints and sages, and they had an immense amount of personal power. Yeah. And yet what they were serving really dictated that they take um, humanity's moral compass to the next level. Right. They, they, it seems like they all kind of adopt the role of being a servant more than mm. a dictator, whatever the word is. Mm. I think the Dalai Lama is a good current day example of that. He he seems to navigate it pretty well. Because <laughs> he's so humble. He's so humble. Yeah, he's serving people. He's actually, he's literally <laughs> serving people. Yeah, you, you go like, oh, Dalai Lama, like you're a great saint and you've been reincarnated however many times, 20 times, I don't know what it is. And he goes, no, I'm just a simple monk. <laughs> I'm just a man. Yeah, and it's hard to argue with that. You could you could debate whether the reincarnation thing is real, but you can't, <laughs> you can't debate that he's a simple monk. Yeah, I, I like to keep the reincarnation topic open, and I'm going to take a leap here and hope that our listeners have some kind of context for this already um, and aren't totally skeptical. But um, I've had some experiences myself where I felt um, in the deeper layers of my body kind of... Um, almost like a physical memory mm. of previous incarnations. And that could be, of course, psychological complexes that are coming to the fore. And there's a lot of ways to explain it. But the simplest way is that perhaps there's such a thing as soul body or energy body mm. reincarnating yeah. from lifetime to lifetime. So I want to keep it open. I'm not making any claims about you know, if it's true or not. Like, like you feel it in your body, like a body sensation that the, feels like yes. a memory... Yes, exactly. So interesting. And so it wasn't one of these kind of like fluffy experiences where I went to a psychic and she told me that I was Alexander the Great in a past life or something. Like everyone's everyone's (laughs) like Cleopatra or Julius Caesar. Yeah, exactly. By the way, I've had two ex-girlfriends in a row tell me that they were Cleopatra in a last life. And um, Um, it it turns me off from, from the notion altogether. I think we should be really... Um, scientific and approaching it, but also be open-minded. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds good. To, you got to sleep with Cleopatra twice. <laughs> yeah, in two different incarnations that are That's both awesome. presently alive for some reason. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so what has your path with meditation been since we were talking about that? you I know you've done some Zen. Has that been your main kind of practice or how would you talk about that yeah so i was blessed in that i started practicing meditation at 12 years old and my mom Mm. um at the time was a practitioner and got me into the transcendental meditation um movement Mm, tm community tm yeah and then that's your that one you're working with a mantra right right exactly yeah they they give you a mantra which uh, mantra for those of you who don't know is a sacred word that you chant silently usually in your mind 
um, to focus your awareness um, and your mind mm. um, to create a a state of non-distraction. Yeah. So, um, and wow, that's such a young age. Yeah, twelve years old, and I was told to think of thoughts or view thoughts as clouds that came into my mind and then exited mm. and kind of came and went. So it was my first um, experience of locating myself interiorly, mm. if that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> like within your own consciousness, like right, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly kind of a door opened and there was kind of this interior experience mm. you know before obviously i had felt emotions and had states and whatnot but it it became suddenly there's space in me yeah no that's interesting to hear about i mean yeah. for me i kind of discovered meditation and became interested in it when i was 18 and there was a real sense and i, I remember thinking about this and really feeling this but there was a real sense of having been kind of sleepwalking through life and then around the age of 18 reading a lot of books around Buddhism and meditation and starting to practice and kind of like just starting to notice like what was actually going on kind of for the first time, not taking everything for granted, not just waking up and going to school in a kind of fog, but like actually paying attention. Um, and yeah, it was just a real shift happened for me at that time. That's fantastic. And I think a lot of people on the spiritual, spiritual path will um, talk about a similar experience where mm. suddenly they kind of, woke up and there was this feeling that of more space or their identity kind of shifted. Yeah. It's not like I woke up like in the big sense of like enlightenment or awakening or, but just like, but yeah, I don't know what other word to use. Yeah. I really felt like that. I woke up a little bit and mm -hmm. just became aware more of myself as that I was alive, that I was going to die, that mm. I was impacting other people and they were impacting me. And mm. I think, Teenage years are hard, and a lot of I think a lot of teenagers turn to drugs and alcohol to kind of just numb themselves. And I was mm. in that camp to some degree, and thankfully didn't overdo it too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought up this topic because I think it's an extremely salient one. Um, the the topic of drug use um, as a numbing agent or as a way to escape mm. versus it creating an expanded sense of self. And creating a heightened kind of moral code, yeah. Um, with psychedelics, for example, um, depending on which ones you take and for what reasons, right? Um, and in what setting and with what intention, um, there's an enormous potential to actually both wake up, but also to see um, beyond um, existing uh, boundaries. Yeah, and to extend love across um, greater, greater depth and with greater capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Huge amount of potential, and I think the the intention. And I think if someone um, has gotten a roadmap, they've gotten meditation teachings, they've heard about compassion, they've heard about um, you know, like karma, for lack of a better word. And then you go into an experience like that with positive intentions. It makes a huge difference. It's like, it's phenomenal. Mm. Mm. And, uh, but I've heard, um, psychedelics like LSD described as strapping yourself to a rocket ship and it's going to go somewhere, but you have no idea where. Yeah. So I you, think need, you need to be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Sam Harris said that his early experiences with psychedelics, it was like he was strapping himself to a rocket with no navigational system. Yeah. Yeah, but if you have a, you can have an, something of a navigational system. You know, you can yeah, have a roadmap. I, well, I think 
the the literature on it is really sparse and somebody like a firecracker like timmy timmy leary who comes along and tells everybody to drop acid immediately and drop out of society um he has a couple of really um good principles like Mm. set and setting right of being around being in a controlled setting um that's comfortable and relaxed and um, making sure that your own kind of state is relaxed and calm and, and open rather than anxious and tight. Right. So if you carry in, in anything, there's going to be an amplification that occurs. Mm. So it is, it's like, it's dangerous in the sense that you can, um, turn the volume up on some really dark kind of experiences. And I had a similar experience to Sam Harris where like I would strap myself to a rocket and there was no telling where I would end up. And half the time it was terrifying. Mm. So I think it's important to be, to use them wisely. Absolutely. At the end of the day, no matter what camp you fall into pro or anti. Yeah. I think part of what makes them, in my mind, so sacred is that they are so powerful and there is that element of of danger. Mm. You know, take mm-hmm. Part of what makes them sacred is that they they deserve respect. Yeah, I think the word is reverence. Reverence, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. <clears throat> Great, so you were um, in meditation, <laughs> getting back to your life at age 12 and then... Yeah, 12. I think um, I took mushrooms when I was 15 or 16 and experimented with... Um, various drugs until about 20. And that's when I really got the call to pursue meditation more fully, mm. um, as my soul path. Oh. Um, soul meaning both singular and, um, soul, like <laughs> your, your energy body. Your soul. Yeah. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> you're, you're the intermediary between your, your ego and the divine. Yeah. It's amazing how with, the practice of sitting meditation, because I think that's what you're mainly talking about. Yes. You can have this um, whole journey, and it can be your whole life, and and yet the discipline involves not moving and just sitting still. And it's such an um, mm. interesting thing to think about how rich our, your one's experience can be without a lot of external stimuli. It's incredible, because um, I think when you withdraw the external stimuli, um, you start to notice the deeper layers of yourself. Mm. And it's kind of like the floor drops out and you're mining gold in a part of yourself you didn't know existed. Mm. Yeah. And to to me, it really, um, for people who devote their whole lives in a real serious way to a discipline, a practice like that, Mm. believing in reincarnation, believing in the next life, believing in karma that extends beyond this life Mm. makes a lot of sense. And if you don't believe that, it's kind of hard to justify why you would devote your life to that because you're, you know, I'm thinking of someone like a monk or a yogi in retreat, like then mm. they're not uh, having a career, they're not having a family. Um, and I think there's a certain belief structure that holds that kind of practice and makes it meaningful. And with and it's kind of hard in, in today's day and world to, to fully to have that for a lot of people. It is. Yeah. And just to clarify, um, are you talking about trying to live as a lay person and practice and the difficulty of that yeah well i'm just reflecting on on different are you talking more of like the motivation for practicing at all um yeah both okay yeah the motivation for practicing i'm just thinking about uh people i've met and stories i've heard like of i've never actually met someone like this but i've read and heard about people who do like a life retreat 
and they devote the rest of their life to meditation practice and even wall themselves up, kind of, mm. uh, which is extreme. You know, it sounds extreme. But even even someone who is, um, well, I guess, if, you know, if you have a daily practice and a regular life, you can integrate that with your life and it can be meaningful. But it feels like it makes a difference, an important difference, if you believe that you are kind of preparing for your next life versus not, yeah. not believing that. I yeah, I, r- I really like that stance. Um, for me, I, I don't really concern myself over um, next incarnations, although I do believe that um, if we are to take this as a possibility that your state at the time of death um, and your ability to stay present with your experience through dreams, mm. um, staying conscious and aware through the fluctuations of your emotions of the day, um, the cumulative kind of moral or beneficial impact you make through the life. There's so many factors that might contribute to um, further incarnations that it's actually like overwhelming to even consider for me. So that's actually not my motivation for uh, quote being a good person in this life. (laughs) Um, My motivation every morning when I wake up is really a purpose based motivation where um, the impact that I'm making right now really matters. Mm. And I have to believe that because it really pulls me out of the stasis of maybe despair or inertia. Um, And I've fallen into that trap so many times of feeling depressed Mm. and overwhelmed by the state of the world. And people, it definitely matters right now. Yeah. Who you are and what you do in the world. That's a great message. There's so much urgency to turn things towards a bright future for our children and maybe our our coming incarnations who knows like <laughs> you, you never know right you know the but just in that very simple pragmatic sense of my actions today make a difference yeah you know like martin luther king jr like didn't know what the outcome of the civil rights movement was going to be right you know and he probably had a lot of doubts no i have uh, struggled with that in my life a lot the, the doubt i think doubt is one of the biggest um diseases or problems of of our age today and by doubt i mean like nihilism like like that thinking that it doesn't matter i think that is a really um can be a really destructive belief i mean you can kind of reframe it if you take a really big uh viewpoint like it doesn't ultimately matter there can be a freedom in that but i think it's important that for me too like to think that it does matter the way you show up matters the way you treat people matters and the the actions that you take matter and not just that, but your state of mind matters. Absolutely. And it affects other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, you th- if you're thinking that it doesn't matter in this kind of self-absorbed, nihilistic way, it's like, that's, I mean, that's the road to depression or that's a part of being depressed. I, th- yeah. I think. And, and the issue of depression and, and doubt and nihilism is so live in our culture because there are so many different factors and nobody's really responsible for, um, this kind of epidemic of disengagement. Yeah, that's exactly I, I think what it is. It's, yeah. You know, it, it's cultural. Um, we're not really given uh, tools to understand ourselves emotionally. Mm. Um, our, our identities, kind of the, the stereotypes laid down are extremely narrow. Um, the food that we eat is largely poisoned. Mm. The, the water, uh, we're fed drugs and 
mm. antibiotics constantly. Mm. And so we're actually really taking a lot of hits just physically. And then the, the media we take in, the TV, the movies, the music, that all impacts us too. Absolutely. The, me, the yeah. news media. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really easy to just feel overwhelmed and, and disengaged. Yeah. And yeah. like things don't matter. And, and I've been in that depressed place so many times, mm. you know, and it was a struggle ever since probably 13 or 14 years old, really young, you know, but it can start even earlier. And it's important that we address this because it's not just like, if you're feeling depressed, it's not on you, mm. but you do have the power to bust out of that bust out of that bitch <laughs> you have the power yeah that's yeah, a good message too definitely yeah. definitely yeah i know because i did it and it took a lot of support and time mm. um but in the winter of 2017 15 years of serious depression cleared overnight wow do you want to say more about that um yeah this is the part where i bear um, a story to an audience that I uh, is vulnerable in the sense that it's far out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, two things happened. Uh, I got some energy work from a friend of mine who works on kind of subtle body things. Hmm. And um, I had a physical somatic memory of getting... Uh, struck down on a battlefield with spears. Oh, wow. And it wasn't just that I was like thinking of it like a memory. It was like I actually felt it in my body. And when it happened, I, I literally shook. Like my body literally shook. Oh. And was this during the energy work? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was kind of like she was feeding areas of my body and my energy body um, that were uh, deficient. Mm. And, and, and once it kind of filled up a little bit, kind of this memory surfaced, if you want to call it that. Again, like I still want to make it into a, a, a many options kind of thing where it could be unconscious complexes surfacing as somatic mm. um, cues and it could be past lives and it could be I made it up in my brain and it could, it could be a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so I want to add that caveat but um it cleared a bunch of depression um and it's been two years and it hasn't returned wow. um and at the time i was also um using mdma in a controlled um setting with a, a partner of mine a romantic partner at mm. the time and she held space and i uh did some really deep kind of emotional healing work hmm. uh, around this. And I don't remember which one came first. Like, was it the energy work or, or the MDMA? But around that time, like 15 years of depression cleared. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And never came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I love hearing that. Yeah. How many, yeah, this how, is like, I'm curious, like how many experiences with MDMA did, did you have? Was it very few, probably two or three, two or three, maybe four. Yeah, and that was part of the or part of the healing. Right, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I think it has huge healing uh, capability if you if it's used wisely. Um, yeah, so this is kind of embarrassing for me, just because like 
um, especially in public on a podcast. Like I, I like to be rational <laughs> <laughs> and not appear woo woo, but, um, I'm actually going to take it there in that I think reincarnation is a very real possibility. Oh, that's an amazing story. I wasn't expecting you to go there at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nor was I. So the so having this memory come back and like kind of re talk about it. your past life experience <laughs> on air, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> I mean, was the the experiencing of that or re-experiencing of that memory or whatever it was helped heal the depression? Yes, what I was think that so. about? Like, just it needed to be relived or acknowledged, or yeah, I think. Um, there was, you could talk about soul or past life trauma that existed um, before I was born that created, um, upon being born, created uh, complexes in my life and attracted circumstances that furthered that trauma. Mm. Um, in my life, my father wasn't around at a really critical junction around seven months to two years. And um, mm. I think it created this enormous feeling of lack and kind of worthlessness mm. to not have my father around for most of my life. Um, so a lot of that material had kind of hung out and not been processed through. Mm. Um, and when I kind of hit the, the deeper layers, so to speak, um, the soul body, if you will, or the energetic body, um, it seemed like it kind of had this spontaneous relieving effect. That's amazing. Uh, to complexes that I thought were uh, solely this lifetime. And also physically in my body. Like, I still feel almost as if there's a spear in my abdomen. You can still feel it. A tightness, kind yeah. of a burning, like a, a feeling of pain, wow. physical pain. Huh. So... Yeah, I mean, it's um, it makes sense to me that there's there's memory, there's information being held in our body. It could be intention. And then through experiencing it with mindfulness or maybe with this energy work, however you get there, you can experience it and it can release rather than being held onto. Absolutely. And, and yeah, to bridge it back, I think if I hadn't practiced meditation for so long, I wouldn't have been able to excavate my experience so deeply. The, uh, the MDMA and the energy work, I think both acted as a catalyst yeah, something that brought forth this experience very quickly. Mm. But there was a long road that led up to it. Mm. And a lot of it had to do with my openness to the deeper strata of my experience. Yeah, so you've been working on, on this for a while. I, mean. I think so. Yeah, in yoga, we talk about the uh, koshas or the sheaths of your body. Mm. So you have the physical, the emotional, the mental, higher mental, bliss sheath. Right. And somewhere in there, there's kind of like the soul body right. or the energy body. And that can be damaged and wounded too. That's the part that I think would reincarnate. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think probably your virtue mm. and the good deeds and the benefits and also um, the unresolved things and the uh, wounds, yeah. so to speak. But you said another thing that was interesting and caught my attention, like in my own, you know, I've had depression in myself and worked through it. And I think for me and I think for other people, part of when you're in a depression, like it, it can be very much uh like blaming yourself mm. and um thinking about yourself and in this like narrow kind of self-absorbed way where you feel kind of trapped in your own shit so to speak mm. and part of what i heard you say was like like with the reincarnation piece it kind of takes the onus off of you like if someone if that's from a past life whether or not that's true but if you believe that then then all of a sudden you've kind of relieved yourself of the self-blame 
Mm. I think that's like an important, can be an important piece of this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point, Julian. And even more so, um, even if you don't ascribe to past lives or believe in energy body or anything that I just mentioned, um, there are a lot of factors that can go into depression, genetics and brain chemistry mm. and diet. unresolved emotions and diet and media. You, you nailed it yeah. earlier. Um, so I think regardless, it's important not to blame oneself. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And my experience with, with depression as well is that um, if I was in a state of hypo arousal, or extreme depression where all of my energy was kind of like, you know, like a collapsed star kind of, mm. um, people coming in and pissing me off mm. actually woke me out of it. Mm. it shook <laughs> you up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And it's almost like it, depression is almost like the function of your anger, just going inwards towards yourself and right. not remitting and holding you trapped in a, a state of, uh, yeah, absorption, I think, is a good way. Uh, yeah, well, that's an interesting way to put it. Anger can go outward, and you can yell at someone, but it can also go inward. And that can be yes. hard to see or, or hard to notice or hard to deal with. Um, but that's interesting about if someone would be kind of rough or be angry with you, it could snap you out of it. And, like, a lot of times <laughs> when you're with a therapist or you're with someone that's, like, trying to be very kind and nice and gentle, and sometimes you actually need someone to, like, challenge you. Yeah, and in particular, I, my girlfriend at the time, God bless her, but she was training to be a psychotherapist and brilliant kind of energy worker already. And I'd be sitting there, you know, like in this state of depressed malaise, like on the couch in the basement. And she would come down and she would start fights with me <laughs> over like the dishes or something mm. on purpose. Oh, well, on purpose. Cause she, her training um, informed her that the state of kind of aggression and anger was, was a higher kind of vibration than the state of depression. Mm. So she would come down and, you know, tackle me or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shake you up a little bit. Yeah. Oh man. Sounds like a good, a good partner to have. I mean, that's, that can be challenging to do that skillfully. And it sounds like she was able to do that. Yeah. Mad love for that girl. Um, well, I guess my one question that came up for me is if you were working with someone who is experiencing depression, what would you recommend they do? Like if someone's listening to this right now, mm. um, I'm going to recommend that they not run towards using drugs right away. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, as much of a proponent of that as I am in certain situations, I think it's really, really delicate. And I've had experiences where I've taken hallucinogens, especially in isolation and just kind of had, um, temporary, awful, psychotic breaks oh, wow. um, that took time to kind of piece back together and wow. heal from. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. That's vulnerable to share as well, but it's yeah. it's good because when we, a lot of times when people start talking about psychedelics, they get so excited. Mm -hmm. And they're, yeah, it is like we've said, there are downsides. It can be totally shattering in the worst possible way. Wow. So again, like the, the, attitude or reverence towards it do you think the ice being isolated in isolation was a part of that i think so yeah and also the time in my life was just incredibly dark right uh, i didn't have any emotional support i didn't have much uh, support at all mm. um, just in general so i think that um it led to this feeling of like i'm bad 
mm. just in general. And I desperately wanted to get out of my situation. So I was taking um, large doses of LSD to try to break open my mind and attain mm. some kind of spiritual um, vista that would help me get out of my stuck place. And I think it did more damage than good. Oh, wow. It was a cautionary tale. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then you get into the conversation about, you know, purity of the substance you're using and how do you know it's not cut with like Drano or something like that. Oh so God. a lot of cautions there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I wish that it was um, legal and regulated so that we could know the purity and we could know what we're doing. I'd get behind that um, in a heartbeat. But I also agree with your, yeah, your caution. And yeah. what was that process of piecing back together? Like it just took time. Yeah, I think coming to Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado, was um, really the first time that I um, both had awakening experiences and then felt like I was in a community of like-minded practitioners. Mm. And, you know, it's a school where therapists are trained and people right. are, quote, conscious and, and want to grow and transform. Um, so it was just a good... Uh, it's good water to swim in. Yeah, it's a good so environment. The community piece sounds important. It's so important. Yeah, feeling like you matter, like you belong, like you're held, like you're supported. It's incredibly important. Well, and unfortunately, in this culture, we're extremely isolated. Right. And when you start kind of um, waking up, if you could call it that, um, initially, if you're in like a small town or, I don't know, a culture that's not uh, receptive to those ideas, then you're going to face a lot of... Uh, isolation and a feeling of rejection. Yeah. Well, just in general, we're overly individualistic and isolated. And um, I think that's where the sense of meaningless comes in. A lot of times it's connected with that and the sense of, and that can lead to depression mm. because if you're not in, um, if you don't have a sense of community and connection, then you, it's easy to feel like things don't matter. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Especially because you don't feel loved. Right. Yeah. Just to bridge this. Um, I think like, to answer your initial question about what would I do um, for somebody who's depressed is like I would just listen and hold space for what's really going on under the surface and make sure that person really, really feels held, mm -hmm. um, feels like literally held, mm -hmm. like feels like they're getting a big hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so incredibly important. Yeah, and that's what a, a good therapist can do. And mm. yeah, I think listening and holding space and making that contact as a therapist—that's what I try to do initially and set that stage, and then, and then be willing to be surprised because, like, uh, like when I sat down with you, I had no idea you were gonna share this amazing story about <laughs> a possible past life experience. And when you see someone in therapy, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you have no idea what's gonna happen, but you. Right. hold space and open up to it. So I think it's important not to have too much of a preconception of like, okay, if someone's depressed, we do ABC. Yeah. Uh, but there are certain things. Well, that, 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 that treatment doesn't usually work, um, especially if it's pharmaceutical. Right. Um, if, if you're just randomly testing, changing around your brain chemistry is sometimes effective, but mostly it's kind of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Right. <laughs> to use an analogy. Well, we're, we're discovering more and more how much of our um, chemistry, our brain chemistry, 
is connected with other people and with our right. life situations and epigenetics and neurobiology. So your so job, your, your environment, your, if your house isn't clean, there's a lot of things going on yeah. um, that actually affect our brain chemistry. It's not a matter of just taking pills to try to correct that. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm getting into, um, as I heal my body more deeply, I'm getting into the mold conversation about uh, toxic molds that have been made more extreme by um, like use of pesticides in mm. agriculture. Um, just like gnarly extreme molds that are <laughs> getting smarter, kind of like uh, in the movie Alien. It's like the perfect being, and it's like this gnarly like acid spit oh, no. being. <laughs> That's kind of how I think of um, mycotoxins these days. Um, so there's a million and one different factors that go into it, but what we're talking about here is what pulls you out. Right. The only thing that I can say about that is miracle. Mm. Like this energy of there being a miracle that you're moving towards something that's more whole and better and more beautiful mm. constantly. And so that gives you, talk about purpose, right? It gives you this sense of my life is moving towards something that I couldn't imagine before. Mm. And that's going to be infinitely better. And the only reason I can't see it is because I'm conditioned by the limitations of what's already happened to me. Mm. So I think there has to be a tremendous amount of faith mm. in something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, so that's the second thing that I would probably start to... Um, imprint on a client is that um, there's an arc that you can kind of connect with um, and you can do through so through meditation yeah like um, an arc arc of your life I mean one thing I've done with clients is if you're in a really dark place how can you start to tell a story where that is part of a bigger story and that bigger story isn't that dark place that's just a part of it that's just a chapter right and maybe that leads to something better like what you're talking about yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that you won't face challenges, but it's just that you, you become more resilient. Yeah. Because you believe in something. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's the perfect antidote to the nihilism you were talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah. It's we live in such an interesting time because there is all these problems we're talking about and there's also so much abundance and potential and if you want to connect and find communities, I mean, my God, there's go on Facebook and there's just, it's overwhelming. And that's almost been part, it's almost too much. It's almost part of the problem. Yeah. There's an um, overwhelm of information. It's an overwhelm. Absolutely. And not all of it is really information you actually want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some of it's terrible. Some of it's good. One of my clients recently um, was feeling kind of disengaged in uh, his life and he was talking about meetup groups that he found on Facebook and uh, he found like a Nintendo 64 meetup group uh. that played like Smash Brothers that actually met up in person. Uh. And my assignment to him for the week was to go to this as like a, a tongue in cheek kind of observer and report back to me about what he found. Mm. at this meetup group and it was fascinating just kind of the psychology behind it and how people were really coming together around this video game that I played when I was nine <laughs> <laughs> and they actually set up like in public and play each other oh, cool. in real time well, that sounds um, fun. so yeah talking about like you can find pretty much anything well I think that that makes that raises an interesting point for me because that's something that's connected with their childhood right and so many of our, like, the big Hollywood movies are remakes of things from our childhood. 
And it's almost like the world is changing so much and so rapidly. We're so desperate to have something that's connected with this positive time in our life when we were a kid and like uh-huh. have a sense of continuity, you know? Yeah. Like X Men, uh, whatever, the superheroes, like all Marvel. These. They're just they're coming Star out with the, Wars. Men in Black is coming out with another one. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and ultimately if you look at Joseph Campbell's work, it's the same story about the hero or mm. heroine. Yeah. Um but I think especially now when there's so much uncertainty in the world, we are looking to storytellers, um, big or small, you know, Hollywood or a podcast. Yeah. Um, to kind of narrate what's to come and try to make meaning out of a world that seems really confusing. Yeah. Confusing, overwhelming. Insane. Uh, insane. <laughs> <laughs> But then we're like, at the same time, like we talked about the age of the guru being over. It's like we're realizing more and more of our own powers within us. Definitely. And uh, even the election of Donald Trump, I think, proved that to a lot of people. They were like, wow, I had no belief that he could actually win because I thought the system was rigged. And then when he won, it proved to me that it, the system wasn't totally rigged. And even though I don't, I don't support Trump and I didn't vote for him, but I, I get that. And it was, it was a shock and it was like, man, anything could happen. Right. Yeah. And it is kind of this brave new world type of thing yeah. where you're not totally sure, like, <laughs> can I trust this? <laughs> um, and I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, I really don't know where this is all heading. Yeah. I don't think, any, I don't think anybody does. I, to, to tie it back to meditation and, and Buddhism, which I've studied, there's a core teaching in Buddhism that, that we all have Buddha nature, that we all have the potential to become Buddhas, and that in, actually, in reality, we are Buddhas. Like that's, there's different teachings, but uh, some of them say that very clearly. And mm. it's interesting for me to think about with 7 billion people on the earth, like 7 billion Buddhas, I think in a certain sense, we all have the potential to manifest our, our world around us, even though we are all connected and influencing each other. And I kind of think of it like seven billion stars, and it could burn everything up and end the world, but it could it could go in a, any number of directions. But I think the, there's a huge amount of potential. That's a that's a really beautiful beautiful way of looking at it, and it starts to seem like the acid analogy of like it's a rocket ship with no navigation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Um, my feeling though is that there is kind of an endpoint, and that to align yourself with that. Um, creates very rapid personal transformation Mm. and right now we really need some rapid transformation Mm. towards um people who are uh more powerful and much more caring yeah uh towards this planet and to each other yeah and to outlaw war just in general (laughs) i think that would be a pretty good idea it's too costly yeah, I think <laughs> I'm just gonna make a standard. <laughs> I normally don't get political, but like, let's just end that whole nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Well, it'd be amazing if we could take all those resources and put them somewhere more useful. Agree. Like, uh, not walls, though. Not walls. <laughs> more bridges and less walls. And so, um, to bring it back full circle. Um, this idea of holding an immense amount of power um, and also extending a greater range of compassion and care. Mm. 
I really think this is our kind of next level story that we're working with. And that's really what I do with my clients is I'm not only empowering them more deeply and freeing them up to see the world and new possibilities, but also um, helping them love more deeply. Mm, beautiful. Um, so that so that it's not kind of this tyrannical thing that's happening. Yeah. But it's an impact for good. Mm. And that's my criteria as a coach. That's what I'm looking for constantly. I love that. Mm. Yeah. I think we can all find that within ourselves. I hope so. Yeah, I hope power isn't absolutely corrosive. Yeah, I don't believe it is. I don't either. But it's... uh, I think it needs to be matched, mm. you know, by increasing um, desire to do good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Matched with the desire to do good and the humbleness mm. and respect for others. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been great having you on here. Yeah, you as well. Thank you really, so much. I really um, enjoyed this. For having me. Um, my name is Kevin McKegg. I'm a coach based out of Boulder, Colorado, and I train... Uh, people in meditation and you can find me on my website kvnmkg.com or find me on facebook or insta under the same handles um and thanks thanks for listening yeah thank you thank you so much for listening if you would like to support this show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com backslash a state of mind If you would like to learn more about my work as a meditation teacher, therapist, and coach, please visit julianocean.us. For show notes and more information, please visit astateofmindplay.com. And I hope you all have a beautiful day.